You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us then take scripture, brothers and sisters, and open to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 22. Read a portion of the sermon which the Apostle Peter gave to the crowd on Pentecost Day. Men of Israel... Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One See decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and believe, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. text for the preaching this afternoon is the summary of God's word as we together confess it in Lord's Day 8 of the Catechism. How are these articles divided? Into three parts. The first is about God the Father and our creation. The second about God the Son and our redemption. The third about God the Holy Spirit 
and our sanctification. Since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is that time and season of the year again where the flowers are blooming and we love if we are able to get out in those flower beds and in the yard and do some work. And as you do that, it could happen that your neighbor across the fence is doing precisely the same thing. And if, let us say, if that neighbor of yours would ask you, now, can you tell me, neighbor, what is the basic, most central thing that you believe? I know you're Christian. I see you going to church every Sunday. But what is it that you Christians really believe? Don't make it complicated. Just give me the central, basic thing. Well, after a few seconds of pondering, perhaps you would say, the central thing that we believe is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of our sins. Or perhaps you would say that the central thing of the Christian faith is that When we die, we go to be with our Lord and Savior in heaven. Or maybe you would say, as Christians, we believe that God is near. He helps us. Good days and bad days. And that's my comfort. That's the strength that keeps me going. Of course, brothers and sisters, you would say it in your own words, not precisely in those words which I've given you. But can you imagine that your answer would be something like that? Or would your answer sound something like this? What if you would say, whoever desires to be saved must, above all things, Hold to the Catholic faith, and this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, without either confusing the persons or dividing the substance, for the Father's person is one, the Son's another, the Holy Spirit's another, but the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, Their glory is equal. Their majesty is co-eternal. Now, if you had said that to your neighbor across the fence, he would probably give you quite a blank look and say, pardon me? You recognize that I read these words out of the book of praise. That is no secret. They are the opening lines of the Athanasian Creed, a creed that is perhaps not as familiar to us as it ought to be. 
And yet this creed says that above all things, this is the Catholic faith that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity and unity. And then goes on to explain it further. This, says the Athanasian Creed, is not some little sub-doctrine buried somewhere deep in the confession. This is central. This is front and center. This is above all things. Probably not what we would pick first. But the Athanasian Creed, for that matter, the Catechism will not allow us to take the doctrine of the Trinity, push it off to the side, and say, well, yes, we do believe that, but that's a complicated one. We leave that until later on when you're more mature in the faith. Or we leave that to the experts, like ministers or elders. No, no. This is front and center. Not only in the creeds, not only in the catechism, but also right here at this baptism. Brothers and sisters, another covenant child, little daughter, is brought forward by her parents. And what is the one doctrine which is front and center as those drops of water were coming on her newborn forehead. Which doctrine? The doctrine of the Trinity. And so, I bring you the gospel this afternoon as follows. We believe in and we are baptized into the name of our triune God. We will see how our God reveals himself in his word, commits himself to us in his covenant, and finally works as one for our eternal salvation. Now when you speak to someone, whether it is your neighbor or someone else, about the doctrine of our triune God, then one of the things, brothers and sisters, that will inevitably come up is this. Yeah, but it just doesn't make sense. One, the same time three. Look, someone will say, either God is one, and then he's one, or three, and then he's three, but you can't be one and three at the same time. It just doesn't make sense. So why don't we just keep it simple and say, God is one, stop there. Of course, being the logical people that we are, that sounds very simple and straightforward. We always like it when someone says, well, let's just keep things simple and not make it any more complicated than it has to be. But there's a big question hanging here in the air. If we say simply... God is one, and never go on to speak about how he is also at the same time three persons, would that be pleasing to the ears of our God? 
You see, we're not here just to tickle and please our own ears. Would God approve if that's the way we spoke of Him? Because this is what faith is all about. What God says to us, what God reveals to us, we respond to that and say, yes, that's true. Even if my mind has to struggle, even if I cannot fully wrap my mind around it, God says it, it's true. You notice how the catechism so wisely draws a close connection between 8 and 7. In Lord's Day 8, we read in answer 25, because God has so revealed himself in his word. You see, that's an echo. It's an echo of Lord's Day 7, 21. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. Almost exactly the same words. And so, how does God reveal himself in his word? Let's open it up. Genesis chapter 1. No better place to start than at the beginning. If you turn with me, brothers and sisters, to Genesis 1.26. We are here at the sixth day of creation. Every day of that creation week was an enormous and miraculous day. But if you had to pick one, which was the climax, the high point, it would have to be the sixth. Because on the sixth day, God made human beings, male and female. And when he did that, God said, verse 26, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. The words are familiar to us. But has it ever struck you that if there was nothing more to say than that God is one, if there's nothing more to say than that, you would fully expect that God would say, Let me, let me make man in my image, in my likeness. But he says, let us, our, our. Who is this our? God is starting to reveal himself. But it's only the beginning. If we turn now to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, again, This is another day of incredible significance, although this time sad significance. This is the day where sin, this is the day when death entered the world. Adam and Eve had sinned. The Lord had confronted them with their sin. And afterwards, in verse 22, the Lord God, this is not God's speaking, The Lord God, the one God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Who is this us? 
He's revealing himself some more. The flood happens. Noah and his family are saved, as we heard in the baptism form this afternoon. And then we come to yet another day. A day, brothers and sisters, again, of no small significance. Genesis chapter 11. The Tower of Babel. All the worlds have solidified and they found a consensus they're going to build a big tower. To build a city. God does not approve. And God says, then, we read it in Genesis 11, verse 7. The Lord said, verse 6, and then verse 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. Again, who is this us? We haven't even made it to Genesis chapter 12 yet. And three times the Lord has piqued our curiosity. How can the one God speak as if he's more than one? Let us like us. Well, he goes on. We could go through more of the Old Testament. But let us move now to the New Testament where we start to hear more about who precisely this us is. We go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 32. And again, this is no average day. This is the day when the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary to tell her, Something that was almost too incredible for her mind to comprehend the birth of the Savior. And then in verse 32, the angel says, He, this one who will be called Jesus, he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. When Mary asks, how can this possibly be? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So now we have the Lord God, whom we also call God the Father. We have the Son who is going to be conceived in the womb of Mary. And how will it happen by the Holy Spirit? It's becoming clearer and clearer all the time. Then, of course, we have at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, the well-known text, Matthew 28. We will not look at that one but about baptizing into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's on Ascension Day. And yet one more. We go to Pentecost Day, the text that we read. Again, no small mundane day. This is Pentecost Day, when the Holy Spirit was poured out from heaven on high. And there, in verse 33, we read, Acts 2, verse 33, the Apostle Peter says, exalted to the right hand of God, he, that's Jesus, that's the Son, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one verse. Do you see the pattern? It's not only that slowly but surely 
God reveals himself as triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who the us is. It's not only that. But it is that God seizes the moment of the high days. The sixth day of creation. Human beings are being created. When we hear about that, all of our attention should be focused. Such a high point. That's when God reveals himself as triune. The fall into sin, which has consequences right to this day, as these parents confessed this afternoon. On that day, God chooses to reveal himself as triune. On the day when the birth of the Savior is announced, on the day when the Savior ascends, on the day when the Holy Spirit is poured out, on those days where all of God's people should have their ears perked right up, their minds fully focused, God says, I am triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we can go one of two ways here. Having heard that, we can still stand on the podium of our logic, our puny little human brains, and declare, well, I still don't get it. doesn't make any sense to me. Or, that's the other way, we can hold out that humble hand of faith and receive this teaching as the wonderful blessing that it really is. Humility. That's the way it ought to go. You saw this little baby at the baptism font. A little girl. There's no pride. No arrogance. No boasting, no standing on her logic. She comes forward. She's brought forward by her dad. And there, in that humility, the triune God seals his covenant. That's the posture, brothers and sisters. Simple Childlike humility. Because once we follow that way, rather than standing on the podium of so-called human logic, as if that was such a great thing, then the blessings unfolds. This God, who is triune, has established a covenant connection with us and our children after us. You see, that too was announced on Pentecost Day, Acts chapter 2, when the people were cut to the heart and said, What shall we do? Peter says, Repent and be baptized. But this, with the promise of forgiveness of sins, with the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, this promise was not just for the adults there. The Apostle Peter said it. It's for you. It's also for your children. Now, this was a gathering of Jews from all over the world. And when they heard 
This promise is for you and your children and your descendants after you. That was not strange language to them. They understood that. That was in their bones, brothers and sisters. That was in their bones since Genesis 17. When the Lord came to Father Abraham and said, I establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. They understood what the Holy Spirit was saying through Peter. They understood it loud and clear, the triune God making a covenant with believers and their children. And that's no small thing. Because a covenant is not some type of temporary arrangement that you go into and you see how things work out and you keep it if you like or you toss it away if you don't. That's not what a covenant is. Certainly not what the Lord's covenant is. It's everlasting. Eternal commitment. And that solidness, that steadfastness of the covenant comes out in the fact that God the Father, the first person of our triune God, adopts us as his children. Adoption. That's different than foster care. See, when there is a foster care situation, foster parents, foster children, there is still always something temporary, not totally certain about it. The foster parents may may throw their heart and their soul into it. They may treat that child just like one of their own. Love them and feed them and wash them and clothe them just like it was their own child. But the fact of the matter is, we all understand that, that the foster care can come to an end. Whether that's from the foster parents or the foster child or the agency involved, but it can come to an end. It's not so with adoption. When you adopt a child, that's for life. Whether it goes great and the path is smooth or it's really hard, tough times, adoption is for life. You don't back out after three weeks. That's what God the Father, our covenant God, does for us and our children. He adopts us. He knows better than we do how difficult it's going to be. How many hard things there will be to work through. How much ingratitude he will have to endure. He doesn't back out. He doesn't after three weeks or three years say, that's enough. I've had it. It's not our God. It's not the triune God. It's not the covenant. It's not the promise that he made. And this is an immense reassurance for Christian parents, also for children, teenagers. First, for parents, you know, as an earthly father, earthly mother, you love your child with every ounce of your heart. Look, you'll get up at 2 a.m. for that child. 
Mother of a newborn child knows all about that. You can feed that child. That child is sick. You'll sit there with the cool cloth on the forehead. You sit with that child. You teach that child. You read the Bible. You cry with that child. You hug that child. You take the shirt off your back for that child. It's your flesh and blood. But you're not super dad. You're not super mom. You run out of energy. You run out of stamina. Sure, you get up at 2 a.m. Sometimes you can hardly keep your eyes open. And that's one thing. The times when you run out of wisdom too. What do you say? What do you do? Your flesh and blood is in such a tangled web. And as a dad, as a mom, you would just love to put your hand in there and fix it all. Not super dad. Not super mom. You're a human. Fallen. Sinful, weak, limited. From the other side too. Sometimes children, teenagers, look at their dad, look at their mom. Pretty disappointed. Maybe their expectations are too high. Maybe their expectations are not too high. And there are things to be disappointed in. And at times, too, a son or daughter just love it. Dad or mom spend a little bit more time, a little more loving, a little more understanding. See, brothers and sisters, in all these things that we face as parents and children, this is where the teaching of our triune God hits the reality of daily life. This is no doctrine to stick up on the shelf, let it collect dust, You need it. We need it. We all need it. To know that God the Father, who is far more than super, He's sovereign, who is far more than wise. He's infinitely wise. And He's our Father. Whether we're adults, whether we're children, whether it's good days or bad, sick, or healthy, he's there. And he cares. Well, that would already be enough of a blessing. But our God is triune. There's also the second person, the Son of God. And we need him also. We sang together from Psalm 15, which is about living, dwelling, in the tent of the Lord. Well, who lives in the tent of the Lord? Today we would likely say house, if not the children. That's what a tent, that's what a house is for, the children. But look, what the people inside God's tent must do and not do. They have to make sure that they do what is good and right. Their walk has to be blameless in the sight of the Father. They have to excel in truth and equity. No slander on the tongue. Never harming 
or wronging anyone near them. Always integrity, keeping your oaths even when it hurts, standing firm on and on and on for time unending. Does that sound like you? Could you honestly say, brothers and sisters, that's me. Perfect description of who I am and the way I conduct myself. Of course not. Not one of us here who could stand up and say that. So how can we live in the household of the Father with all of those riches that we just heard about if we can't follow the household rules? We ought to be evicted is what we ought to be. That's why we need God the Son. Because God the Son here, you heard His name as the water went on the forehead. He gives His solid, everlasting commitment. He washes clean. All those times you did not excel in truth. You did not excel in equity. Slander was on your tongue. And your walk was anything but blameless. The Son washes every stain away. Hymn 5. Aren't you glad that our God is both Father and Son? But He's more. God the Holy Spirit as well. You see, even after all of this, the adoption within the household of God, the complete forgiveness of all sins, you're going to leave this church building today, tomorrow, the rest of the work week. What's going to happen? You're going to be struggling against temptation. And you and I alike, we're going to fall and stumble again. Weren't, weren't we just here on the Lord's Day? Didn't we hear it from the pulpit? Didn't we see it, the sacrament? Stumble again. Our memory is not so long and our spiritual stamina is even shorter. Aren't you thankful? It's God the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, strengthen us, and prepare us for eternal life. We who have the short memories, we can't even think back and remember well what happened on the Lord's Day. How are we going to set our life in order for eternal life? if we don't have the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, some people hear about triune God, they say, doesn't make any sense to my brain. Logically, I can't figure it out. Well, no. God is grand. God is glorious. God is almighty and infinite. What would make us puny little creatures think that we figure it out? Let alone figure Him out. But what a wonderful blessing. The more you know how sinful we all are, how needy, the more you appreciate our triune God. We need everything that the Father gives us. We need everything that the Son gives us. And we need every blessing that the Holy Spirit promises to us. Without Him, we crash. With Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit We can scale the highest mountain. Our God is triple rich. We are 
triple impoverished. It's not a conundrum. It's a blessing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together as one. And that is, too, a very special thing. You know, in earthly life, the closest bond is of husband and wife. Under the Lord's blessing, a husband and wife may become dad and mom. And your marriage can be fine, brothers and sisters. can be a good marriage. Do you think that the husband and the wife see eye to eye on everything? Just ask the children. They'll tell you the truth. There's differences. Sometimes the wife, the mom, she approaches it kind of this way. And dad, a little bit this way. The kids will pick it out in an instant. Such is never the case with our triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together in perfect, impeccable, uninterrupted unity. There's not even the slightest little bit of cross-purpose. Not even the slightest little bit of different approach which generates a little bit of tension. None of it. Perfect harmony. Such as we never experience in this earthly life among human beings. But we do receive it from Him, our triune God. It's not meant to be a baffling riddle. It is the richest blessing for you, also your children, after you. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.